Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. My guest this week has hosted everything from Final Score to the Six Nations to the Olympics. Formerly an international gymnast, Gabby Logan moved into broadcasting in her early 20s and neither she nor the male-dominated sports world have ever looked back. Now 47, she's launched The Midpoint a podcast about midlife career change and becoming more comfortable in your own skin. I don't want to spend any time thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so much older than these people, because that would just be a complete waste of time and it's not going to make me do my job any better. Join us as Gabby talks resilience, reclaiming middle age, competitive coping, cooking for Mary Berry, and why equality begins at home. Oh, and how it feels to be the Dame Judi Dench of sports broadcasting. There's so much more. You'll just have to listen on. Hello, Gabby. Lovely to meet you. And you, Sam. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Where do we start? Let's start with your fabulous career. <laughs> Let's go all the way back before we get to the midpoint, if that's okay. How did you get into sports broadcasting at a time when women weren't in sports broadcasting on the whole? By accident. I did a law degree. And while I was at university, I worked on local radio in Newcastle. And I'd been a gymnast before that, having nobody in my family at all who ever worked in broadcasting or journalism or anything. I went into the television centre, the old iconic building, did Blue Peter and came out knowing that was what I really wanted to do. I wanted to work in that environment. And but I didn't know how or where or what. So I went off and did a law degree. And in my gap year, I met um, I met this guy who was a friend of my boyfriend's who ran a radio station in Newcastle. And I told him what I wanted to do. And I'd, I'd started to kind of garner bits of work experience and things. And I've been writing for various publications, or, you know, locally and things and sent submitting articles and said, I wanted to work in broadcasting. And he said, well, come and see me when you come to Durham. So the whole time I was doing my degree, I worked in local radio and I did things like late night love shows and read news bulletins and compiled news bulletins. And then by the time I graduated, I was the co-host of The Breakfast Show, which is very light entertainment, kind of like capital radio type breakfast show. Great fun, you know, really good starter salary for a graduate, having a great time. But I didn't didn't see a career in sports broadcasting. I just wanted to get into broadcasting. And I genuinely didn't know whether I wanted to be kind of Jeremy Paxman or Zoe Ball, because my, my then boyfriend was um, the kind of guy that he got his PhD in about a year and a half. And he thought it was what I was doing was just too trivial. And I had a lot degree and I can do something really sensible and be you know use your brain and and but there's part of me that thought oh Zoe Ball looks like she has a nice life during the year was always hanging around the sports team in the radio station and the boss uh called me in and he said uh, when I was doing the breakfast show he said look you, you're always hanging out with the sports team you really love sport you've got pedigree of sport he said um, why don't you do a Saturday job for me and do the interviews at St James's Park after the matches with the, with the players and I had nothing to do on Saturdays and I wanted to go to football and, you know, it was an extra 50 quid or something for me to go down there and I didn't have to pay to go to a football match. I was like, yeah, that's great. And it was just like a Saturday job. I didn't see it as, again, something that was going to lead to anything. But it did because when I was 
doing a match one week towards the end of the season, Sky Sports contacted me and asked me to go down and screen test. And and still, even getting a job at Sky, I still didn't think that that was going to be, you know, an actual career. So so that's how it kind of happened. It was never a plan. But, it, you know, with hindsight, obviously, with all my experience in sport and all my passion for sport, it was a lovely kind of confluence of timing because I think Sky had been around for about three years at that point. So before then, the opportunities were so thin on the ground. I'm a bit older than you and I was racking my brains back to the first time I heard a female sports presenter on TV, and it certainly wouldn't have been the 90, early 90s. So I was kind of 96, I went down to Sky. And before that, you know, I'd only just done those interviews really in, in the local radio. But I'd seen, I suppose at that point, Helen Rollison was probably already on doing something on the BBC, maybe hosting Grandstand. I think Sue Barker, you know, because obviously Sue was a tennis player and she, she mm. came ready to do Wimbledon and she came in after that as well. I'm about a year or two younger than Claire Balding. And so she was kind of graduating and going on the kind of BBC journalism track at that point and not on screen or on, you know, on radio even. So there were not very many female faces or voices at all in the industry. I mean, how do you feel now about it? Because you're, are you, 47, still going. I mean, I don't see anybody comment on how old Gary Lineker is. Blimey, he's like, he's nearly 60. He's going to, he's just signed a new five-year contract. And I said to my agent, I hope we're celebrating a new five-year contract when I'm 60. You know, Um, I think you're absolutely right. Nobody mentions the age of any man broadcasting. And there is, there is at the moment, this kind of appetite for youth across, you know, kind of lots of areas of, of sports broadcasting. And there's a churn of talent that seems to be kind of going on at the moment. And lots of people I've known for a long time seem to be moved to the side. So every time that happens, you think, oh, is it is it my turn now? You know that I'm going to be moved on, and you know you hope you're kind of you keep being relevant and you keep being professional and good at your job and passionate about it. And and I just feel like there's always there's always more to do and more more growth to, to have in terms of your you know your broadcasting experience. So I, w- I do want to do it for a few more years yet. But my first boss at Sky, when I used to go in and beg him to do live sport, he told me when I was 23 that I wouldn't be on his screen after the age of 28. So I've I've out lived that career my agent at the time said to me you, you're in such a rush and I said well do you wonder when somebody said that to me at 23 years old it's very hard to shift that mindset you know where you feel like you've got to just do so much because I was going to be hung out kind of like you know to pasture at 28. There's no point even having a five-year plan is it five years is like your shelf life. Yeah it was going to be over I mean he's no longer not just in the industry he's no longer on the planet <laughs> so but he was a very old school kind of mm-hmm. guy I mean he smoked in his office that's kind of how long ago this conversation was happening but that does in your mind make you feel two things one completely inferior in terms of you know you're being told something about your sex and your your whole worth is based on your looks effectively because mm. you know the judgment was that after that age you wouldn't be worth having on the screen kind of thing and also when you looked around the industry at that point you didn't see any role models anyway so, yeah, so it took a it took a bit of time really to shift that mindset I think that, that I was accidentally <laughs> kind of got into you know because that certainly wasn't the mindset I went into the industry with. No, you've one you acquired. So do you feel that, I mean, there are no role models for you now, are there? It's it's funny, you kind of look and think in terms of sports broadcasting, no, which makes me <laughs> makes me kind of the Dame Judy Dench of sports. And I still, you know, I've got 15 year old twins. So and when I think when you've got teenagers, that keeps you very kind of young and you feel kind of, you know, that you're young in one mindset. I mean, old in many, many other ways, because they like to tell you that. But yeah, I don't feel like I'm that far away from my audience. But then also, I think it's naive to think your audience are only kids. You know, we, we break down the demographic of our audience all the time at the BBC, because we're so myopic and navel gazing about how we, you know, how we give value to uh, the license fee payer. And 
you know, most of our sports are being watched by people who are kind of 35 to 55. So I'm kind of bang in the middle of, of all of that, really. So there's also that assumption that people are only interested in talking to and listening to people of their own age. You know, somebody who's 18 isn't going to be remotely interested in anything you've got to say. Exactly. No, and I totally agree with you. Like my daughter, she's much more generous with praise than my son. She would say a comment that a friend might have passed on about they've been watching the Women's World Cup, for example. And, and I think it surprises her when, when there's kids of her generation kind of enjoying the coverage that we have. Because actually live sport doesn't tend to be watched by really young kids these days because they're watching things really quickly on, you know, minute grabs on their phones. You know, when I was younger, I didn't only want a 19-year-old talking back to me on the TV, telling me things. And and part of the kind of my motivation for getting into the space of kind of midpoint was that idea that actually you acquire so much knowledge mm. and wisdom, even if you don't want to kind of call it that, you know, that can engage a younger audience in terms of the things that they're being challenged by and the things that they're going through, you know, and it's that cyclical thing, isn't it? I quite like the notion of being wise. I mean, yeah. I'm not convinced that I am, but I like the idea of it. I don't, you know, I don't find yeah. that a negative at all. Again, wisdom can, you know, you can meet some really wise 25-year-olds, but and you can also meet mm. some really dumb 54-year-olds, you know, <laughs> who don't seem yeah. to provide any, you know, yes. provide yeah. any wisdom in their lives. But um, I do think the experiences we have, whether we go through things in our careers or whether it's through relationships, and and hopefully we're learning along the way and not making too many of the same mistakes twice. We know it's a struggle at the time, but then once we come through it, we don't we don't ever go yeah. back. What Just did I learn? on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So where did the notion for the midpoint come from? About a year ago, I think I'd had one of those physical moments where, you know, you kind of like walk past a mirror and it's a genuine shock of kind of, kind of like, oh, well, I, I kind of knew I had some lines. But in my head, I feel like I am still the 25-year-old, 26-year-old who came down to London to work sky and... And so it was that physical thing of like the outside of the world sees me differently and then internally feeling, oh, well, I just feel the same in many, many ways, you know, and then looking at kind of what was coming down the track in terms of the other physical changes that were going to be coming. And I had one friend in particular who was just obsessed with the menopause and uh, kept talking about things that were going on. At that, that point, I didn't feel like I was really on the same page as her, but was thinking, well, actually, anything else in your life that health wise, you know, it's, it's always better to be prepared for mm. it kind of ready for things so so I started kind of thinking about it more and and but then I wanted to kind of widen the conversation out to the other challenges that come through you know the middle of your life and I've talked about relevance and talked about people having the challenges that they create for themselves because they want to kind of keep motivated yeah exactly yeah you know not feeling like they have to just kind of resign themselves to oh well this is it and there was a conversation one of my friends um she's about six months older than me and on my 47th birthday she we were in the middle of lockdown it was in April and she rang me and she said right I've just read this article and actually 47 is like the complete like nightmare age because I was like oh <laughs> And she said, because if you haven't achieved what you want to achieve, and if your mindset is kind of, you know, negative glasses half full, that's how you're going to be forever. But if you're really, you know, if you've got a really positive mindset, that's how you'll be. Forever. And I just didn't, I didn't kind of collude with the idea that we are completely, you know, the middle of your life is that's it, you know, whatever you're going to be, you're going to be for the rest of your, your days, and that you can still change and you can still do things that, you know, you previously wanted to do and really had the desire to do, but just didn't always have the confidence to do. And that's the one thing we should have actually in midlife is confidence. 
Mm. So I didn't want to kind of just interview women. I didn't want to just interview women about physical changes. And I wanted to speak to men and women about the midlife as well, because my own husband, who's only a year older than me, could definitely see things going on with him, you know, in terms of his, his mind and his him kind of coming to terms with his changing body and, you know, all those things I think are relevant to, to both sexes. And I do think women obviously get it harder because we have reproductive system. <laughs> so mm, we have, yeah. you know, we have this whole yeah. gynecological area. But yeah, so that's kind of how I, you know, I just said everybody that comes on this podcast has to be over 40. That was my one rule. Snap. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because also I just don't think that we get enough airtime. So, you know. Even outside of sport, you know, you, you look and you think, and Fiona Bruce said that thing a few weeks ago about her not expecting to still be on telly in her mid 50s. She mid 50s, I think she Yeah, did. I think so. To me, like she's just an amazing broadcaster who looks great and is great at her job. And, and, and it would not even be an issue to have a man of that age, you know, doing any of those jobs. So the fact that she had those feelings in her kind of 40s, a bit like the guy that told me, the boss that told me I won't be on telly after the age of 28, I think shows you kind of how previously there just weren't those role models. So, you know, if you talk about role models, she might not be in sport, but she's somebody that I think, well, you know, she's got longevity. I mean, I think that whole thing with Fiona Bruce did make me think because I do think things are improving all the time, but still, you know, you can count the number of women on TV on any one night over 40 on one hand, two sometimes. And Fiona is almost always one of them as well. It's like <laughs> Helen Mirren is like the other one yeah. too. Catelyn Moran did this podcast for me and uh, we were saying about kind of the who are the role models in this kind of band, if you like. And people always go... Helen Mirren no, well, no Helen Mirren's in her 70s <laughs> yeah. she's 30 years away you know so it's this you've got to be so old that actually it's a real achievement by the way when you say who are the role models it's because of the way she looks it's not kind of because she's you know still forging ahead fantastically with her career it's always done on the basis that she still looks cracking in a bikini and I kind of did this a corporate thing with um, the CEO of AXA PPP Healthcare who's a woman who's 50 and I came away from spending a day with her and she's a really amazing story she left school at 17 because her mother died and she had to bring up her five siblings. So she left her education. And this amazing woman who just kind of like did night school to kind of keep going, you know, bringing up five younger kids. And she's now the CEO of a big healthcare company. And I said, why, why do I not know about you? If you were a bloke who'd had to bring up five siblings, you would have been a double page Sunday Times article. You know, I'd have, I'd have read about your story. And I sort of thought, well, I'm going to do a kind of offshoot of midpoint of kind of like almost real life midlife heroes, you mm. know, who are still taking up those positions, you know, in their 50s and still I think banging the glass ceiling for so many women in the corporate world is tough enough as it is and then when they get to the middle of their lives you know when all the kind of if they've got children they teenagers all that stuff to keep taking those appointments you've got to have a really good 50% relationship at home with somebody who's really really because totally. you, know, you just cannot do it otherwise when I was doing the book I interviewed 50 women just completely ordinary women from all different backgrounds and almost without fail they said they felt that they started being sideline for jobs in their mid late 40s that they'd been told that they were too expensive you know and that's experience equates as too expensive for women in a corporate you know in a lot of environments yeah. actually and I know many men who you know who are still getting great positions in their 50s and and also the idea that we're going to be probably working till we're 75 by the time we are allowed to stop oh, you know least. yeah <laughs> So the idea that you should just somehow settle, you know, for whatever job it is in your mid 40s and, and that's the end of your career and you're not going to keep moving on, you know, that also didn't fill me with great excitement or joy, you know, and kind of wanting to speak to people who are changing tack or doing something a bit different and, or given permission almost by society, you know, to be, it's accepted mm -hmm. to do that. So trying to shine a light on what they've done. Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like it's all 
almost like in your kind of early 50s, you know, in this this period of life, you have to give yourself permission because nobody else is going to give it to you. You kind of have to go, I'm not going to think about whether I've got grey hair or whether I've got, you know, whether what I thought was a crack in my sunglasses is actually really big crow's feet, you know. I'm just going to go and do it. If I sit here and wait, I'll wait forever, frankly. I think it's really important. I probably like you. I always, you know, if somebody asks me advice, especially younger women who contacted me through my career, you know, whether it's on social media or in the old days when they used to write letters, I always wanted to reach out, reply, explain kind of like what I did and how, you know, they might get on. And I still, you know, I still do that. I just got a lovely email from a guy I helped with his dissertation telling me he got first. You know, I didn't help him with his dissertation. He And kind of like when we get into this period, period of our life it's a little bit like we're walking along this kind of tightrope without any support at all because there's nobody up there is there who's saying yeah it's, keep going it's okay you you know we've got this in fact what happens instead I don't know about you but around my industry I'm kind of told by bosses oh yeah 32 year old ex is getting that job because we really want to kind of reach out to younger but said to me in a way that I should be really excited for it and that's yeah. and I go okay and now I start looking around going so is that it of the job's gone now you know is it I just got to hang on to the ones that I've and I think we have to start creating the world that we want to work in and creating the environments we want to work in because I don't think that it's going to happen for us. You know, you know, we had to do so yeah. much at the beginning of our careers anyway. Do you think you've seen a lot of change in the last few years in TV yeah. and in sport, actually? Well, in terms of gender, from the beginning of my career to now, you know, there's like loads of women who work in the production side or you know directors and and that and that's really great to get a kind of normal gender balance across a working environment because it's not normal to be you know as I was regularly in an office of like 30 blokes and there'd be you know one other woman and her job was booking the cars you know for the the shoots and things that we're doing and so now there's so many more women in so many different areas of the industry there's definitely more of a balance and there's also younger generation of men who've come in who are some of my favorite young male producers just do not see you know kind of any reason why there shouldn't be a female camerawoman or female director you know they don't Mm. they they work in a different way because they just want people who are really good and that's the most important thing people who can do the job so I mean we've got a lot of female managerial kind of bosses at BBC Sport as well you know in terms of the head of BBC Sport is a woman so I think that that's important not just to have that from a kind of aesthetic point of view actually somebody who um you know is brilliant at her job and has held that position now for almost 10 years you know as the head of BBC Sport. Do you see the podcast becoming more? Yeah definitely I found it so enjoyable and you know what I've really liked is the control that I have over it you know because it's mine so I you know write to who I want to write to to ask them to be on it I do it. Broadcasting is so hard to get ideas off the ground you know I've had so many ideas I've gone to producers with and either they nick them and five years later it's on BBC One with you know somebody else is kind of like hosting it or they just say it's not right for them and at that time and you just end up kind of getting your enthusiasm beaten out of you so this was such a lovely way to get an idea off the ground and I'm just in the process of getting together people for the second series and then I kind of want to write I mean it won't be as brilliant as your book which I've read which is fantastic but I want to write something that's kind of so focused I suppose on the female kind of side of it because there's a real diversity in how people approach this period of their life yeah no I've really I've really I've really enjoyed it and but in the same same way you don't ever kind of want to feel defined by it in the sense that you think well I don't want age to become a thing yeah in the same way that I've never wanted my gender to be a thing whenever ever I've done interviews you know for 20 odd years now people say you know about being a woman in the world that you're in on the one hand you want to be you know proactive and you want to be supportive and you want to make sure that women feel they can work in this on the other hand you don't want it to still be a thing you want it to be normal because you know nobody's ever asked Gary and Inika, for example 
people who was looking after his kids, Gary or anybody, but you know what I mean? It's that thing of it's still an issue, isn't it? When people, a certain daily newspaper that will tell you that they've rushed back to work, you know, just two months after getting, two months after giving birth, oh, for God's sake. And you still expect to be on the telly talking about football. Honestly, Sam, when I was pregnant, heavily pregnant with my twins, I was working for ITV and I had a really high profile job. You know, I was presenting the Champions League and the boss at the time, he just didn't know where to look, you know, because I was like a ginormous. And he was very old school and was not particularly massive fan of mine. He'd taken over the job just as I got pregnant. It was a terrible, terrible time for us to be working together. And it was a properly stressful kind of environment for me because I could see, you know, it was just, it was the, almost the visual, the idea that I was carrying two children while trying to talk about football. Young lady, you've come in here. Yeah. <laughs> We've accepted what you've done, but now you've reminded us all <laughs> that you're actually going to be a mother. Um, so yeah, that, I, I look back now and feel a bit sad actually that I wasn't able to kind of enjoy that as much you know and I now I really try and celebrate when I have colleagues who are pregnant I really try and celebrate them being pregnant in the sense that it's not you know it's not something that they feel they should have to I'd get these suits cut I had one good suit and I would get these suits cut but they sat from here from my chest almost down to my knees so that I couldn't see it literally had a shelf as if I had this weird shape that kind of like oh no she's not pregnant she's just got a tv inside her jacket (laughs) (laughs) oh god it's so weird though isn't it because I mean I totally hear what you're saying and I had those same reservations about do I want to write a book about being a middle-aged woman because then I will become a poster girl for middle-aged women and then I kind of felt well yeah I do feel that even though I've worked in a female environment you still had to downplay your femaleness at certain points you know in your career and then you start working with younger women and they're like oh well I've got a really heavy periods when you to work from home yes that's it periods are a thing about being a woman you know go figure that's it you know it's not a big deal and so I kind of thought well if I won't talk about being a middle-aged woman because I don't want to be defined by being a middle-aged woman then it's never going to get normalized never going to be a thing you know it's always going to be a talking point and at the moment it is a talking point but that's because people are going oh thank god yeah let's talk about it you know yeah I think you know you either have like my mum maintains that she didn't have a menopause you know so she's she's kind of like my period's just stopped and that was it and she could be really lucky then well I I could be and she's very much like so that's that's that and she kind of cracked on and she's you know and she's always been very glamorous she's never kind of like succumbed to comfy dressing which I do now you know (laughs) she's always been very glamorous and have friends who I could see just weren't having as good a time of it it wasn't as easy for them and and in some ways it was almost like there was this as women often do it's that I'm doing better at this than than you are do you know what I mean Not, not anybody would say that but that's what I kind of don't want it to be you know that it's a competition well you you're really good at this menopause thing and you're not having a very good time of it. So what does that make you, you know? And so I think the more conversations you have, the more you realise that it's just an arbitrary thing. It's as arbitrary as having, you know, one of us having freckles and one of us us having curly hair and one of us having straight hair and one of us having blue eyes and one of us having brown eyes. And in a few years' time, we'll be through the other side and we'll all be back on a level playing field again. But in the meantime, just looking out for each other. And it's made me notice things, I think, with other middle-aged women think, oh, okay, maybe... Maybe that's what's happening there. You know, maybe that's kind of a thing. And and it's actually probably healthier to, to notice that, isn't it? In the same way that you yeah. become much more tuned in to noticing things that relate to mental health with people and giving people a bit of slack when it comes to their, their, you know, thinking, well, actually, that's probably quite stressful for them right now. So I think in that respect, it can't be a bad thing to have this conversation. No, definitely not.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You use the word middle age then and you intentionally use it, don't you, in the podcast? Yeah. Um, how do you feel about it? Such negative connotations. Yes. Which is ridiculous, really. Yeah. Adolescence is the fountain of youth and adolescence and everything's blooming and you've got this kind of, it's it's positive in the sense that it's about the start of a journey, isn't it? And then the next thing seems to be middle age, you know, which is almost code word for beginning of the end. And also middle age seems to be tied up with things that are dull or things that are very practical. And uh, there's not a lot of pizzazz about middle age. Oh, it's a very middle aged, you know, when people say that, oh, I'm just, hang on, I'm just in Waitrose buying some porcini mushrooms. Oh God, I'm so middle aged. You know, it's like, and I, I look around Waitrose and think, no, there are 22 year olds in here buying mushrooms, you know, but, yeah. but I think it's, I think it's a, um, it's not a positive affirmation, is it for most people to say? No, absolutely not. Yeah, you know, in some ways it's a bit of a relief because for a long time I was the young one because I was kind of achieving benchmarks ahead of schedule almost. Do you know what I mean? I, I, was, mm. I was hosting a live football on, on ITV at 28 and, you know, so I was I was quite young for, for those things. For a while you think, oh, I'm not the young one anymore, but actually that's that's all right. And so in a way to hit a new period of your life, I'm quite happy with that saying, I'm middle-aged because if I'm in the middle of my life, I've still got another 40 odd years to go. So that's fine. What would you say your emotional age is? Probably a lot older, actually, than I am because um, I lost my brother when I was 19. He was 15. And my parents have been through a very, I wouldn't say very horrible divorce, but just a very horrible time divorcing. And my dad has some serious addiction issues. And, uh, you know, so, so it's been a very tough kind of period of time and being the eldest child you know had a, a lot of responsibility and a lot you know a lot to deal with with those family issues so I probably feel emotionally a lot more experienced so I'm quite I'm quite happy to you know <laughs> to catch up so maybe maybe more like in my 60s. Wow so you've done plenty of emotional living basically haven't you? Yeah I think so through the losses and the you know and the various tragedies that have kind of come to, to the family through my brother dying and my dad and things it's been you know it's a lot of tears you know a lot of emotion that's been for all of us that we've all we've all been through so I think it's um it's not nice to have those experiences young but in some ways it sets you up in a way I'd already been through so much by the time I arrived at university that I had to remember 
to keep being young because I would find some of my peers' issues really trivial. And I, I, I couldn't vocalize that. I had to pretend I was really as bothered as they were, that they couldn't find the room they wanted in the house they wanted in their second year. Do you know what I mean? It was like, mm. it was things that I just felt were a bit like, oh, for God's sake, that's really not that important. But I'd have to go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I looked like I just was totally on the wrong page, you know, because <laughs> in my head, there were these really big life issues that we'd just all been going through and still were going through. And, and they seemed a lot more important. But everybody's experience experiences are their own and and you can't compare. We're all so different, but I think at a young age when I was 19, I was in danger for about a year or two of kind of being like, what 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 are you so bothered about? You know, so what if he dumped you? You know what I mean? So, so mm. what if you get your car to what you know, things that just didn't seem that trivial. I had a bit of counseling eventually. I kind of was able to, you know, become more normal again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of a resilience, isn't it, that maybe people accumulate through their life or you accumulated very early. Yeah, I accumulated a lot of life experience in a short period of time. But then it's what you do with it, isn't it? You know, and how you work it through. You know, you don't know when you're going to get your big life lessons, do you? You don't know when they're going to come along. But if stuff like that happens to you at quite a young age and a really formative period of your life, you know, then you have to learn how to assimilate it. How is that going to affect you? Who are you going to be because of it? You know, what is your, what are you going to take from it to try and kind of the rest of your life better and stronger for it, you know, rather than it defining you in a way that is with sadness or with loss. So for example, going through all of that, when I then tried to get pregnant and we had to eventually go and have IVF and things I think that probably helped me as well you know to, to, to deal with that in a different way so it's a very long-winded answer to your question about how emotionally <laughs> old I am but I think that's probably why I feel a bit a bit older emotionally but physically I don't feel 65. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh well, god you certainly don't look it Chris. <laughs> or even 45. I mean you do look great it's got to be said does that come from within or without? I think I've always wanted to feel fit and so fitness is kind of so tied up in my my appearance because I know that I'm not for body shape but just general well-being and kind of health you know that's kind of more important to me than anything so after I gave up gymnastics and I realized that the rest of my life I was going to just have to do sport for fun you know because I I enjoyed it so much (laughs) but I didn't have a competition to aim for or you know a championships um but I remember going for a run when I was about 20 once and I was on my bedroom floor doing some sit-ups at university and I suddenly had this like oh my god this is it this is what I'm going to have to do if I want to kind of keep being healthy but so then you've got to find things that you really like doing and so being fit and being healthy is just so important to me but I realized I didn't understand then that actually what it was really important about was my mental health as well so Mm. I think my mental well-being is probably gone better than maybe it should have done even at certain points in my life when I was dealing with those big tragedies because of the physical things that I was doing so I think we're quite late to that weren't we really I always say when I go to world cups or major championships I always say to my producer because when you go on these things it's like five week trips where you're working really long hours and you're doing strange things at strange places and I, as long as I can at some point go for a run I'll do anything for you I just need to have that release that physical release and it's how you kind of keep sane and keep your head level in those environments but I knew that in, instinctively but didn't kind of call it my mental health because nobody would have talked mm. about mental health in, in your 20s so yeah so in terms of the TV part of my job though I kind of wonder sometimes if I was doing a different job how would I feel about my appearance and you know kind of would I keep up with you know getting my highlights done what I love a facial would I have as many facials and I think the answer would probably be yes actually I don't think it's just because I work on telly that I'm interested in those things 
And as I mentioned before, my mum's always been really well groomed and looked after herself and she's always loved a facial. And, you know, she was, um, <laughs> she's dyed her hair um, kind of like a dark auburn colour since she was about 20, to the point that people think it's weird she hasn't got one child with red hair because she hasn't got, <laughs> she's now 70 and it's much darker. But she used to say to me when I was like, even when I was about eight, went, now you will tell me if my hair starts to go that strange orange colour. Her intention that she was going to dye it for the rest of her life, you know. I think because we talk about people that you have as your role models, I think when you grow up with a mum like that, then it's... It's not kind of even like a vanity thing. It's just what you do. Do you know what I mean? It's just mm. kind of how she looked after herself. So, and I don't feel like it's exercising as a chore or looking after myself as a chore, but, and it makes it easier, I suppose, when you do work in telly to not think too much about your appearance. I don't want to spend too much time when I go to work thinking, oh, I look a lot older than the other girls. Do you know what I, mean? I don't want that no. to be mindset you know on Saturday I was doing football with Alex Scott who's in her early 30s there was another footballer called Jess um, Fishlock who's in her mid-20s you know I don't want to spend any time thinking oh my gosh I'm so much older than these people because that would just be a complete waste of time and it's not going to make me do my job any better so it is part of the job it is a visual medium but it's not the only thing and I think that's you know for me what I kind of keep remembering that's I wasn't hired at the beginning, you know, for that. That wasn't what I did. If you look at the way that older women are described, Mm. you know, that whole old bag, old, old something. I suppose one way of dealing with it is to reclaim it. You know, men become silver foxes, don't they? They become suave there and, you know, just. (laughs) And they have gravitas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> their lines are never mentioned at all, are they? Or their wrinkles. It's just, you know, and the worst he could possibly say is, you know, he looks like he does a lot of sport or he's, at, he's weathered, you know, he's kind yeah, of weathered. Yeah, weathered. Yes. Yeah. He's obviously plays a lot of golf. He's very weathered. They're allowed to grow older and actually still be seen as attractive, aren't they? Yeah. Everybody's got to be allowed to live their own lives. But I do think also this is an opportunity for us to kind of sell it a bit to younger women. Yeah, not to make it something that you're scared of. It's like, oh, look, here are all these cool older women and they're still here. Well, they're still the same people. At the same time, there is this worrying trend for young women to think that at 25, they've got to be, you know, pumping their faces with Botox and they're, um, you know, doing things for themselves to radically alter their appearance. And that's that really worries me because of the psychological um, implications that that has you know and and so therefore how are they ever going to think that it's you know it's cool to be older if even at 25 they're feeling some kind of pressure to not have a face that moves you know which is very and and, and actually to become almost like identikit you know to, to not have that individuality which is really really so different you know trying to explain to my daughter about how we would go for nights out for months on end and never have one picture recording the evening you know know. (laughs) thank god as well I think I've got a picture of my 18th so it's so hard to express that to a generation that have so become so um focused on having the perfect appearance at all times and both genders as well which is a really massive leap isn't it from Mm. you know younger you it makes it sound like I'm anti-social media I'm not I just I just worry about the mental health I think yeah about face tuning in particular is yeah Mm. have you have you had work or felt under pressure to have work no and I I did joke with my stylist um Charlotte she's same age as me we always joked when we were in our 30s that we'd have a facelift when we were 50 and (laughs) um, because we were in our 30s and now that I'm 47 that's only two and a half years away um and I think first of all I'd be too scared um me too and um and I I don't disagree if people want to do stuff if people want to you know 
have um any kind of procedures or what I, mean, I love I love facials and if I can afford to I'll keep going for facials and having facial massage that's kind of my big luxury to myself that um you know that I, I like and if I can keep doing that I will do because I don't you know I don't have any shame in that and if somebody wants mm. to you know do anything uh to change their face that's up to them but personally I feel um it's not it's not a road I'm you know I want to go down um I've not I'm I've got a big nose and when I was younger I did I did think you know kind of a lot about would I you know doing something about it and um I didn't obviously because <laughs> it's still there um but I can so I can understand how people you know because I did have those you know proper conversations myself and did a bit of research and met with a surgeon um who was actually a surgeon who did all my husband's teammates operations because they use plastic surgeons to operate on them when they have like major corrective surgery for injuries and um he explained kind of like he was started explaining the face and how you know what what makes a perfect he was going on it was and he broke it down into such a kind of unsexy scientific kind of thing about where we know why the nose I walked out there thinking no that's not for me because I don't want you know it was almost like a um a a, a dot by dot book you know kind of like join the dots and this is how the perfect face would be in the nose because he actually turned to my husband he said actually Kenny's got the perfect kind of size nose because it's a third of his face and blah 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 and I looked at Kenny's face thought well if that's the perfect face and I just thought actually you're you know it's 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 you isn't it it's who you are so I'm yeah I'm so glad I didn't actually I'm so glad I never did anything then and it's probably made me a bit um more fearful I think of um but then I see some women and I think that they've had really good facelifts or they've had really, you know, they've had, um, especially the top Hollywood, um, kind of women and you think, yeah. oh, they, they just look really well. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the thing about midlife and, and I've read it in lots of different books is the kind of what happens when the hormones are leaving you is the tiredness, you know, you look a bit tired and it's kind of, it's not that you are tired. You just look a bit tired. And that's, that's the bit that's, you just would, if I could just kind of somehow work a way of, not looking you know as tired that would be nice to to work through but um yeah I don't know what about you what's your your thought process no I I don't know I've never I've never really wanted work but you're probably right it's probably a little bit of fear of like even with Botox I kind of do feel like oh are we going to find out in x number of years that we've all been injecting poison into our faces but um, I, I'll basically buy any moisturizer that promises to give me a glow, whatever it costs, whether it costs a fiver or, you know, anything. If it says it will give me my glow back, then I'll buy it. But I, I think there's um, when I, when I really want an instant kind of glow like that, I think go for a quick run because you get a kind of perspiration to your cheeks that's, uh, you know, that feels like it gives you a a bit of a, a youthfulness you know what I mean a bit of dewiness <laughs> I don't think if I went for a run I wouldn't look youthful I'd look just look like red and sweaty and <laughs> puffy and <laughs> just a quick run around the block but it's um it's this bit here that um I'm kind of starting to feel oh, like yeah you know like the kind of jawline because it's like yeah I always had quite a, a good jawline and like lately I've, like, I'll be reading and I'll have my neck down like that yes. and I and I can see my husband look over like Oh, what's that there? <laughs> oh no, when you do accidental selfie, yeah, oh you know, yeah, and the, oh god, and there's always I, actually you, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. That is the bit that could tempt me. Yeah, that's if I'm honest, that back and um, that but then bit. it always that doesn't look real, does it? When when you've got kind of that's that, that, you, 
do that in the mirror, you think, well, that's not yeah, a bit really. Cruella, don't you? Then? Yeah. 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 So you've got to keep training this muscle here. This is what my mum always taught me, the muscle at the top of your head. So you kind of move it on its own and then it keeps pulling your head back. And oh, also, I can do that. Yeah, just keep doing that all the time. Yeah, don't, not your eyebrows. Don't move your eyebrows. Just the muscle from, say, so you put your finger here and you pull it back like that. Um, can you do that? <laughs> can you feel it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's good that's to like, know. The um, facial massage, because that's what they work on, is the muscles in the face. But, um, yeah, I think the... Um, the idea of I think what happens as well with people when I see people who have a lot of stuff done they seem to get addicted to it what there's yeah. never one just one thing is it it's never just one little procedure it just seems to mount and um and that's because it must become quite addictive if you see the change and then you think oh I could have another change I could do something else I could do something else so um yeah a friend of mine who's a beauty editor had um I mean she said that she said the first time she had botox she just absolute botox she absolutely loved it. She liked to look great. She looked well and rested and glowy and all of that plump. Um, but then after that, the, it's Botox on top of Botox, so it's never quite the same as the first time anyway, apparently. Right. I don't know. So she um, so she stopped. Yeah. So I, anyway, I'm just going to ask you a few questions that I always ask at the end. What advice would you give younger women? Alluding to what we just said then about not thinking too much about that stuff you know it's like what I say to my teenage daughter when she gets hung up about anything to do with her appearance and a lot of that for younger women comes from social media I see a massive difference you know I remember once picking Mm. up when I was about 17 and wondering why I didn't have this huge gap in my thighs like the models did I think for a while I kept looking at these pictures thinking my legs don't do that and then I, I was a gymnast and doing sport and thinking well that's because I do this I'm going to forget about that it's not important but I think with social media it's like having that copy of Vogue in front of your eyes all the time, you know, mm. all day long and all those images. And I, and so I've got, you know, a very savvy, clever girl, you know, Lois is amazing, but she's still in her moments of kind of feeling a bit insecure, as we all do as teenagers, you know, doesn't feel good enough about herself. And so I think I just kind of keep pushing the message, you know, that not only are you absolutely beautiful and you're going to do amazing things in life, just don't spend too much time worrying about those things because they're really, really not important. And it sounds so easy to say, doesn't it? But yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? I just really, you know, can't stress kind of enough how it's just not important. Like I think you might have said it, did you say it in your book about, I think you quoted the, you know, you look back at pictures of yourself in your 20s and think, why did I wear a bikini every single day? Oh, yeah, no Efron, yeah. And and I've read it in different ways, that that quote kind of been been delivered. And I think it is just enjoy your your youth and your energy and and don't spend time worrying about things. And the domestic situation that you have, obviously, at home, you know, for me, I know that my husband and I have got a very, very even kind of approach to everything. You know, it's not a case of me kind of asking permission to, you know, could you look after the kid? You know, when you hear people mm. say my husband's babysitting and things like that, you think, well, <sighs> you know, you would never say I'm babysitting my kids, you know, so don't let him say that he's babysitting his own kids. So, so, so you make a wise choice, I think, young women who you, <laughs> who you decide to, to set up with for the rest of your life. Whoever it is, that equal partnership is so important to. Yeah, just don't be the one who always notices that the fridge is empty. And um, the number of women I know who thought they had quite an equal set up and then lockdown happened and guess who was doing the homeschooling yeah you know and guess who didn't get the spare room for an office you know yeah it's really I bet there's quite a few of those relationships that won't come through in a very positive way because actually 
if you're doing you know all of that and you have your career as well that's that's a hell of a lot of extra work you're doing isn't it there and a lot that you're sacrificing in your own working life because that's not sharing we've talked loads about role models and the kind of gap really between 40 and 80 have you got any any women that you look up to that you admire Joanna Lumley you know she's she's never lost her fun you know she's never lost the kind of playfulness of what she does but she's been able to have a long career and ridden through all kinds of I mean imagine when she first started out the way that they cast people (laughs) and the kind of sexism she would have had to encounter because of her looks and you know what she was being employed for I would still watch something you know on TV because she's in it and we talked about Fiona Bruce because she got appointed to question time in her 50s you know you're committing to her for 10 years really aren't you for that job so that's great you know that she's going to be doing that into her 60s hopefully and I do look to people it's like an energy isn't it that you get from people Mary Berry is um an old neighbour of mine, and she's just moved actually to another little village, but she's 83, I think, next. And I kind of love the fact that she's so hardworking. Not only has she been around here for dinner and I've been to hers and stuff, so I'd call her a friend. my God, you had to cook for Mary Berry. I know. How did that go? Oh, I took the day off work to prepare for it because I was (laughs) nervous. um, She said it was all lovely, but I, yeah, I'm not a baker, so I made a cheesecake, which all my friends thought was hilarious because I, you you can't give cheesecake to Mary Berry. (laughs) I can't bake. So I just, the main course I wasn't worried. I did slow cooked lamb did a quite traditional meal because I thought her husband's very traditional and you know he'd like that and he did but she was absolutely lovely and charming and she's got so much energy and so much just a, a kind of real enthusiasm for for taking on things and I know through professional kind of contacts how she operates in, a, in her you know her working environment she's amazing and I think kind of energy and being able to keep going and being relevant is really to be admired I think at, at her age and to reach a new younger audience you know to have you talked about before about not just broadcasting to old people you know or older people kids love her you know so um so in that respect I'd quite like to be the uh you know an oxygenarian when I'm 82 kind of still talking to kids whether it's about sport or something else like if you enjoy your job and you enjoy broadcasting I don't think there should be a limit if you've got a relevant idea something you want to do What's your superpower? I am ridiculously organised. I did a law degree and I think you have to remember so much stuff when you do a law degree because you kind of just constantly remembering cases and dates and things. You have to have like almost like a rotor deck in your brain that you're flicking through. Unfortunately, it does mean that you become kind of everybody's diary. So the kids go, um, what time is X happening on the 14th of November? You know, and they know I'm going to know. And I'm like, oh, do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's not bad. It's not been a bad superpower to have, though, to try and, you know, juggle being a mum and having a career. It's, it's, it was quite a good one. Mm, it's probably useful. Yeah. <laughs> I've only got one more question. My last question. Um, how many fucks do you give? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Is that a new development? Have you learned that or have you been like, have you long given zero fucks? I think I pretended I gave zero fucks for a while when I was younger. And then that's the beauty of getting older, I think, that you have the confidence to actually give zero fucks. I'm so glad that I don't care what people write about me on social media. I don't care what people say about, you know, kind of my period. I, I genuinely don't, you know. So, but I did when I was younger, you know, I definitely did. And I, things to heart too much and um, that's just one area of giving zero fucks but that is a blessed relief because I do think I see younger colleagues getting very caught up and worried you know and as I say to them what some bloke with his ankles around his trousers eating a pot noodle in you know in in Swindon why are you worried about him (laughs) 
that's the beauty of confidence that comes with age, that that you know what's important and you have the people that you really consider their opinions of, on matters that are important to you and and you don't have to, you know, please everybody. You know what, what you like to do, don't you? You know the things that make you happy. You know what's um, what, what, what your idea of a good night out is. So um, don't waste your time trying, you know, trying to find something new that, you know, that isn't what you want to do. Life's short. And, and so, I, yeah, I think that that part of getting into middle age is, is quite joyous, actually. It's quite a relief. That's brilliant. Um, when does the second series of The Midpoint start? I think New Year. I think it feels like a good time to start. I'll, I'll get them all recorded before then. But um, yeah, who knows what, what yeah. the way we'll be working. Anything yeah. could be happened by then. <laughs> by then they could decide that, you know, even working online is, is spreading the disease and we're not allowed to. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what time is it? What rules are we actually living by right now? Oh, it's, God knows. Yeah. yeah. It could be but um. Yeah, I'm. I've enjoyed it because it's been uh, a kind of break from chatting to people about sport and you know lack of sport. <laughs> First, there yeah. was lack of sport. Then there was sport without without fans. So, yeah, yeah it's um, that's got to be hard. Anyway. Yeah, it's very strange. It's very strange. But anybody in the arts or performing world, you know, yeah, just, must be so tough. So tough. But um, thank anyway. you so much. Well, thank you. That was great, and thank you for giving me so much time. We've been ages. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each week on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.